Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. By now, they've basically dismissed into three groups. The largest portion is just trying to fight the traffic back home. They know they have to get out of there quickly. There's a long journey ahead. And so they're trying to move at the fastest rate that they can. You can already see the dust clouds hanging over the small hills. It's not a weather pattern, it's a, it's a people pattern. It's the feet that have kicked up the dust and the rocks and the, the dirt along the trails. Those that have already taken off from the small hillside. You don't want to be in the back of that line, breathing all of that in. There's also a second group, and they realize that the traffic out of here is going to be a nightmare. And so they've stayed on the hillside. They've been sitting in, in rows for three days, and now they've made little circles as they're discussing what they've heard and, and what they feel about what's stirring inside them. They're reviewing it with one another. And then there's that third group. They're down in front. Others would like to join, but this mass of humanity down there tells them, I'll never get that close. I'll never get all the way up there. It's those that want to shake a hand. They want to pat a shoulder. They want to try to get their questions answered. They're trying to convey the emotions that they're built up over the past three days. And I guess in reality, there's actually a fourth group. There's only 12 of them. And they are not gathered together. They're, they're scattered all over the hillside, and they're, they're carrying baskets. They're picking up leftovers. They're getting the pats on the back, the handshakes, the thank yous, and, and yet they're speechless. And believe me, it's rare when Peter is speechless. But he and his companions don't have words. People are thanking them for all the food, for, for how they were served, and, and yet they can't explain what happened down in front. They can't explain where the bread and the fish came from. They just, um, they just nod their head in gratitude. But for those 12, they're wrestling with what just took place. And if we go back and we enter that scene, if we go back just a few hours, if we, if we watch what happens down in front of the hillside, where over 4,000 plus women and children have gathered, my hope, my prayer is that each one of us walk out of here today also wrestling a little bit with what takes place. What does it mean for me? May the church, may, may chapel, may worship never be something that we come and hear and leave behind, but may it give us something to walk out and to wrestle with. What does this have to do with me? We're coming to the halfway point in the, in the book of Mark in chapter 8 out of 16 chapters. And if you look at your life notes, that little half sheet of paper you're handed when you walked inside, I hope you'll take that. And you'll realize that it's taken us 24 weeks. We've been working at this since the beginning of October. And, and you, could read this, you could read these first eight chapters in, in like 20 minutes on your own. But we've been slowly going through it, through the whole journey here, verse by verse. And if you missed any of it, you can always pick it up on the podcast or online. But we've spent eight chapters, 
Eight chapters examining this guy, Jesus. Eight chapters of going back and trying to find out more about this man who has split the fabric of time into B.C. and A.D. Eight chapters of picking up every sentence, every scrap of evidence, so that we can answer the, the question, who is this man who flipped the world upside down and continues to do so now 2,000 years later? Eight chapters of, of trying to figure out what happened on this little sea of Galilee. And, and in chapter 8, verse 1, we pick up a continuing story of things that have been bad. And now they're going to get worse for the followers daily hanging out with Jesus. And they don't get it. And if you and I are honest, really honest with ourselves and with God and with each other, we don't always get it either, do we? These guys hang out with Jesus on a, on a daily basis, and they, they still don't get it. And yes, this story is going to reveal to us this week and next week how the lights may turn on. So here we go. During those days, during those days, this is connecting us with the stories that have, that have just gone before, where Jesus has been doing almost all of his ministry along the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem is up in the south. You always go up to Jerusalem when you're in Israel. The Pharisees have come down from Jerusalem. The religious rulers, the, the leaders, the, and time and time again, they've heard about the miracles. They've heard about the teaching. They've heard about these crowds that this man Jesus is drawing. And Jesus has pulled a, a pin on another religious grenade and, and rolled it into their synagogues, if you would. He says, your entire religion is about clean and unclean. And let me tell you what God cares about your heart, not about what you eat. This defies everything that they thought about the Old Testament, especially the first five books of their Bible. And almost as if to, to, to prove a point, he, he's left the region, the Jews, and he goes northwest. He goes up to the city of Tyre. And he goes to one of the most unlikely places, one of the most unlikely of cities, to most one, of the, one of the most unlikely of women that he encounters, with an unlikely daughter, dealing with, one of, with an unlikely evil. And for the first time in seven chapters, we found, Jesus found the heart of God, the heart that God was looking for in the most unlikely of individuals. Now, by the mere route that he's going, he's proving a point. I've come for the most unlikely. Not what you deem clean and, and unclean. And we followed last week. And as he's come back, back south, he's gone not down into, into Israel. He's gone to the, to the east, along the eastern shore there, to the, the, the region of the Gentiles, to, to the Decapolis, the ten cities. And any good Hebrew man or woman, they're aghast at this point. Why would any good Jew ever walk amongst those dogs, the Gentiles? And it's during those days, in that region, it's far from home. Once again, we have a story. And some of you may think this morning, well, wait a minute, didn't we cover this story a few weeks ago? Well, it sounds rather familiar. Well, just, just hang tight and you'll see. It says, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Another large crowd. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Circle that on your life notes. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, 
But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Now, can you imagine sitting for some guy teaching for three days? You know, how, how long would you last? Some of you are saying, man, he's going more than 25, 30 minutes. <laughs> Every word in red that they're hearing comes not just from God and the power of God, but it comes with compassion. Someone gets their brokenness. Someone gets their marriage. Someone gets their relationship with their kids or, or lack thereof. Someone gets the, the financial strain that they're under. Someone gets it no, no matter how hard you try and what you do, you just keep falling short. Someone gets the loneliness. Someone gets the hurt. Someone gets the pain. The Son of God is teaching. He's not, he's not pounding a pulpit. He's, he's not telling you how far off the mark you are. He's not telling you how bad you are, but compassion from God himself in the flesh. And you sit there, and you don't want to leave. It's getting dark. It, it, it's probably going to end, and, and words comes up from the front that, uh, well, he's going to be back tomorrow. Well, then we're staying, man. We're, we're going to camp right here. We're going we're to try and get a better seat even for tomorrow. And day two comes, and day three, and they're out there for three days on that hillside on the southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. I doubt that people arrived with, with backpacks of food. Whatever they brought, they've already probably gone through all their, their power bars and all the stuff that they had in, in their backpacks, and, and he knows it, and he has compassion for them. Some of them have long journeys home because they're in a remote place, and they're not going to make it home. They'll faint before they get home because they haven't eaten in a couple days. And with compassion, he turns to his disciples, and he says, we got to feed them. And the disciples, they get what's going on. They, they, they know what's going on. They're, we're out in the wilderness. We've been here three days, and there's no way that we can get enough food. And I love Jesus' answer. How many loaves do you have? How many, let's see, there's, uh, geez, there's about 4,000 men here, and then you got the women and the children. We don't have enough bread to feed these people. Well, how much do you have? It's a, it's a ridiculous question. Well, how much do you have? And so they, so they go and, and they check and they see one, two, three, four, seven. We, 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 we got seven. They replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Circle that on your notes. They were satisfied. Seven. Not 700, not 7,000. And he gave thanks. Jesus is like, that's all I need. Just seven loaves. And you know, he, he could have done it with less. In fact, he could have done it with nothing. He gave thanks and he gave them to the disciples and they distributed and everyone ate and everybody was satisfied. And I sit there and I read this. And I'm like, man, how did that happen? You know, don't you want to know how that happened? How, how, how did he do it? He just, they just put one, one loaf down there and boom, and it all just, you know, or did, was it, you know, he gives it to Peter and the guys and they're going out and they're, they're passing out and they're saying, okay, who's hungry? No, 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 who's really hungry? Who really needs something? And, and they go out and they, and they pass it down. They, they, they say, here, take one and... The guy goes up, there's another one in there now too. 
and, and to give out two more, and now the basket's half full. Did it happen that way? I don't know how it happened, and neither do these guys. But, you know, what's that, fish? Uh, no, no, thanks, I've already had my fill. I've, I've got enough. You know, how do you go from Jesus gave thanks for what certainly is not enough to feed these people to all of a sudden everyone is satisfied? But folks, that's not the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story is that we've been teaching throughout the book of Mark. We said it at the beginning, it's a simple, simple fact that the way that Jesus dealt with people then is the way that Jesus deals with us now. We need to understand that. The way that Jesus dealt with people then, that's your part, is the way that Jesus deals with us now. There you go. Some of you forgot we did that way back when. Some of you weren't here, and that's okay. But that's what we're going to get out of this story. And in your life notes, I want you to write this down first there. Everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone deserves a second chance. You see, this is the second time that this happens. Two chapters ago, they fed 5,000 people out of five loaves and three fish. So we get to this, and, and you know, we might go, well, well why, why don't you disciples get this? When Jesus turned around and said, feed the people, why didn't they just go, hey, watch this. You know, we've seen this before. He's really, really good with food. You know, just, just wait. This is going to be amazing. No, they still don't get it. Not to their credit. It could have been three months. It could have been six months. It could have been nine months. It could have been a year. It could have been a year and a half since, the, since that, last, that last miracle of the feeding. And he's giving them a second chance. How long... Have you walked with Jesus? How many times have you prayed? Three years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. You've looked at what he's done, and, and now you get to your next optical, obstacle, you get to your next challenge, your next thing, and, and, and you still don't get the God that you're with. He's giving them a second chance. Write this down. This is a Jesus this is a Jesus who knows that we don't have what it takes, but still asks for what we have. He knows that we don't have what it takes, but he still asks for what we don't have. And folks, that's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity is the only religion, the only philosophy known to man that promises you can't do it. I can't do it. And isn't that, isn't that good to know up front? Wouldn't you like to know that up front? I bet he tells us that. When I was a freshman at Ohio State, I started out as an engineering major, and I had a physics professor, Dr. Gaines. And the median score on Dr. Gaines' midterms was 32. That means that half the students' grades were below 32, okay? And, 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 if, and that's pretty non-motivating for, for us overachievers that are always striving for that perfect score. And in Christianity, we're, we're called to do over and over and over again what you and I can't do in, our, in and of ourselves. It's him working in you. It's him working through you. It's a surrender that has to take place where he takes over. We can't do it. And I tell you, if you haven't gotten to that place, it's freeing. It's freeing. When you realize it's not about you, it's about what he can do through you as you surrender to him. Now, some of us find those, those words a little harsh, though. You know, what do you mean, I don't have what it takes? You know, do you know how successful I've been? Do you know how big I built my, my company? Do you know my personality, my, my gifts, my, my talents? Listen, if we can't get this, 
We will never get to a place where God can use us and do what he wants to do in the crowds that are around us, whether it be our neighbors, our workplace, or anyone else. Never. Christianity is the only group that once you achieve a point where you know that you're good enough, you're disqualifying yourself. We need to feed the crowd. Well, we don't have what it takes. Oh, how do you know? Why don't you go check? No, we don't have what it takes. Can I, can I have what you have? We have seven. And at that moment, he takes it, and he gives thanks for it. And, and they realize it's not about us. We don't have what it takes. And he knows that, but we surrender what little bit we do have. You see, it's number two. This is a Jesus who does not need us, but he delights in using us. He does not need us, but he delights in using us. Now, as a dad, as a, as a papa, I, I love doing things with my kids and my grandkids, with, with them helping me with things. And it seems like as I get older, it seems like it was easier to get the grandkids to do stuff than the, was the kids. Anybody else ever ex- experienced that? <laughs> well, my granddaughters just left, and, and if you didn't meet them, I want to tell you, you missed two of the cutest kids in the world. You know, I'm just saying. And I love ice cream. You, you say, I can tell you love ice cream, Walt. You've had a bit too much of it. Um, <laughs> And you know, what kid doesn't love ice cream? So when Papa is around, whether I'm in, in, in Texas with them or whether they're here, the, the girls help me make ice cream. It's not so much that I need their help. I can make ice cream my own. But you know what? I don't really make it a whole lot if they're not around. But I love working with my kids. I delight in having them help me make the ice cream, and even more so maybe in eating it with them. He does not need the help of his disciples. He does not need their loaves, but he delights in using them. And they get to go pass it out. They walk to the crowd, and the crowd is patting the disciples on the shoulder. The crowd is thanking them and saying, oh my gosh, I was just talking to my wife, and you know, we've got this, we've got this long way home, and we didn't know what we were going to do because there's no 7-Eleven between here and in our house. And we haven't eaten in three days, and you guys are amazing. I don't know how you came up with this. And all the disciples can say is, thank you. You're welcome. How can they explain what happened? They can't. Just, you're welcome. It's not about me. I I just gave up the loaves, you know, and, and, and it's his show, not mine. And what a place to be in when it's not your job, it's not your responsibility, and and it isn't your talent, but people are being satisfied because you surrendered. You surrendered and let God use you. You gave up what you had. What a place to be in. You see, in the story, it's a Jesus who shows his past faithfulness as a promise for future faithfulness. You know, we want to say, hey, disciples, you know, this shouldn't surprise you. You should have gotten this two two chapters ago when he fed the 4,000. Your God is really good at, at overcoming insurmountable odds. He's really good. And we shouldn't be surprised when, when God wants to breathe life into a dead marriage, when God wants to restore a dead relationship, when God wants to use a, a dead heart that's been closed off to him all these years. You see, he's a God who does great things with dead things. That's why Easter's on our calendar. He does great things with dead things, and his past faithfulness should be a reminder, a promise of his future faithfulness. This is why I love 1 Thessalonians 5.18 so much. It says there, Paul enjoins us, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the odds are, no matter what, give thanks. But you and I, we oftentimes tend to look at the resources. We, we look at our life. We look at what we have, and we look at what we're facing, and, and we, we're like, I, I can't do this. We view things from a, from a place of scarcity. And this is why we give thanks. This is why we are to give thanks always. It's not just changes, it not just changes the heart, but it changes our perception. It changes our, our, our viewpoint. It reframes the, the situation that we're currently in. When I give thanks, I have to go back and remember something to give thanks for. And when I'm constantly daily trying to remember to give thanks for something, it reminds me of God's faithfulness. You're worried about finances right now, buddy? Really? That's got your wheels and your head spinning at night? Can you give thanks about what God's done for you, for your finances in the past? Again, my freshman year at Ohio State, I didn't have my Navy scholarship yet, and I was working my way through school close to 30 hours a week, also as, a, as an engineering major taking a full load of, of classes. And I didn't know how I was going to pay my, my tuition winter quarter that year. My parents couldn't help me, and I got desperate, and I went to the dean of the engineering department. I'd never met the man before, and Ohio State's a big place, okay? And uh, I basically humbled myself and asked him, I said, is there any scholarship money somewhere, some budget dust that maybe could pay my, help me pay my tuition for this quarter? And fortunately, I'd, I'd done quite well on my, on my SAT scores to get into school, and, and, and God provided through that man, and my tuition was paid. Years later, when, when Lou and I went to New Orleans for me to begin seminary while I was still in the Navy, we weren't sure, quite sure how I was going to pay for seminary. And we visited Calvary Baptist Church our, our first Sunday there. And that afternoon, there was a knock on our door, and it was this man named Mel Ulmer. He was a deacon from that church, and he came to see us as part of their visitation. And after a nice visit, we, we, we shared with Mr. Ulmer why we'd come to New Orleans and told him I was going to start seminary, and then after a couple of years finishing out while I was out of the Navy. And, and he informed us that it just so happened that he had established a scholarship fund in his late wife's name at the seminary. And he told us, after knowing us less than one hour, he said, if you ever need any tuition, you let me know, and I'll cover it. And many of you know the story that I never had to drop out of the Navy. I just went through, and, and people like Mel Omer and, and, and Nelson Price in Atlanta helped, helped me pay for my seminary expenses. You see, when I stop and, and give thanks and, uh, for everything that God's done and the finances of my past, and where, where I've said, well, I'm done, I can't do it, I don't know how I'm going to do it, God shows up. He shows up in a miraculous way. And too often, though, initially, I'm just like the disciples in this story. And, and I'll be honest, I want to look at them and say, you blockheads, just remember what happened two chapters ago, the feeding of the 5,000. Why don't you get this? But you know what? I'm just like them. And don't kid yourself. So are you. This is a story of God understanding that his, that his disciples don't understand. He says, keep walking with me. I don't, I don't know how many loaves I'm going to have to split before you start to realize you don't have this, but your God does. Our job is to surrender. Do you have what it takes? No. Do you want to check? I don't need to check anymore. I know that I don't have what it takes. We need 4,000 plus. I have seven. And God says, I want to give thanks for your seven because it's not what you have, it's who you have. You just haven't figured out who you have yet. And the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, 
the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. And that's down kind of like southwest of where they are, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, back in, in Jewish territory. You're going to see that in a minute. So the miracle that he did on the northern edge of the feeding of the 5,000, he now does with 4,000 on the southeastern in Gentile territory. And this is a God that says, what I have come and brought salvation and good news to the Jews is open up to those that you think are unclean. It's open up to those in society that you say don't fit in here. They don't belong here. They're not good enough to be here. He goes, I'm going to go to them because they're not going to come to church. And the same miracles he did with those that are clean, he now does with those that are unclean. And now, after being out of Jewish territory, they take the boat back to the other side, and no sooner do they get there than these guys show up. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed over to the other side. Short trip, huh? I don't know what his intentions were back in Jewish territory. I don't know what he came over here to do. I don't know what Jesus' intentions are in your life. But a hardened heart that's close to him will drive his attentions away in a heartbeat. Hey, God wants to do something amazing in your life. What? It involves serving it. Well, nope, nope. I want a sign. I want God to show up and prove it to me. They've heard the miracles. They've heard the teaching. And that's not what they're asking about. They're testing him, it says. I want God to show up and prove it to me. I want God to meet my demand for proof, my bar. And I bet the disciples hear this, you know, and they're all giddy and they're probably excited. Like, okay, Jay, why don't you show them? Hey, we're, we're on the seashore. Why don't you have all the fish just kind of pop their heads up and sing Jesus loves me, you know, all in unison and, and say hallelujah and then dive back into the ocean. Wouldn't that be easy for you to do? You created them. And, and if that happened, you know, these dudes, these Pharisees, man, they'd be all in. They'd say, oh, you had 12 disciples, there's four. Hey, now you got 16. We're in. We're going to be part of this. Now, if you grew up in church and you read about the Pharisees, we have a different view of these guys. Every time the, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm hard on the Pharisees. I really am sometimes because they, to me, represent the legalists in, in, of the day. Every time the Bible mentions the Pharisees, we picture them and they got these little pointy noses. They got these steely eyes and, and these sour faces like they're constipated. And we forget that in these stories that the Pharisees are simply those that are most devoted to God. We forget that the Pharisees are those that have the best attendance records in church. They got all the little Sunday school pins every year for perfect attendance. And we forget the Pharisees are those that have studied Scripture more than anyone else. Those that have made a commitment that every single day of their life, they're going to fulfill the law as best they can. That's the Pharisees. And 2,000 years later, we, we see what Jesus did with them, and we make them out to be bad guys, but we forget. When we read these stories, all too often... It's us. See, we ain't Jesus. We ain't Jesus in the story. Talk too often, we're the church folk in the, in, in the story. We tend to be the, the Pharisees, the church guy or the church gal. They want Jesus to show up and prove himself. 
And it seems like, a, it seems like such a harmless request. Have you been there? People, this is different from praying to God about a decision you're making. It's different from asking God about a major life decision or direction in life. They're trying to test God. They're asking God to prove that he is God. They're, they're, they're saying, I'll follow you if. And this is done out of a hardened heart that's already seen and heard who Jesus is. It's those of us that we know all this, and we still want God to show up and prove himself. And Jesus goes, okay. Here's your sign. Uh, we're going to use, you know what? We're, we're going to use the boat here. Um, you 12, get in the boat. Here's, here's your sign. And he rose away. And if you did demand a sign of God, there's your sign. He may row away. And it tells us in the boat, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now imagine Jesus looking out over the water. He just sighed deeply. The only time that he's done this so far is the passage just before this that we studied last week where, where he comes face to face with the deaf mute. And now he's face to face with the brokenness of humanity and the brokenness of religion. Who should know him better than anyone else? Who knows the Messiah and the text better than anyone? But all the knowledge in the world isn't going to change a heart that's not ready to be changed. And they will not do what he's just demonstrated on the hillside. They will not surrender. They want more proof. They want something else to be done. And he sighs at the brokenness. He gets in the boat. And with the boys looking out over the waves, he says to everyone and yet not to anyone in particular. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Yeast is that, it's that little pinch of dough that you take from the bread that, you, that, you're, that you're making, and you leave it out so that later you can put it in the next loaf so that it'll rise. Uh, you know, it's that starter-type stuff. It's bacteria. It's fermented. It's basically rotted. And you can tell because once you, you make the new dough with it, it infects the entire loaf, and the loaf rises there. Nowadays, you can just buy yeast or, or starter and, and do it, but back then it was the pinch left over from the old loaf. And Jesus says, beware of these guys. Beware of the yeast. Beware of coming to religion and still making it about you, your power, your authority, your position. A Jesus that works for you who meets your demands. Jesus that shows up for you and blesses you. The Pharisees are doing it. And, and by the way, he's saying Herod is doing, doing the same thing. And same thing with the Roman government. They're all in it for them. They're looking at the power, the position, the authority. And the, the disciples have, a, have an amazing answer, which leads to a most unamazing miracle, which we're going to look at next week because all these stories run together in one time theme. And you're not going to sit here for three days listening to this. And so it's going to be part two next week. That's why it's part one today. But it's a Jesus who, who knows that just a little hypocrisy can corrupt the whole. He has just demonstrated the kingdom of God is not about us. In fact, he does incredibly well without us. Now he tells these guys that, that want to test him that they're, they're not genuine. Because just a little bit of hypocrisy can corrupt the whole thing. It's just like a, a pinch of your old self, your old loaf added to, to this life will blow the whole thing, he's saying. And if you keep a part of your old life, I guarantee you it's going to infect the whole. He says, beware of playing religion without surrender. 
The Pharisees are blinded by a threat to their power, their position, their authority. They don't want to surrender anything. They don't want to give anything. They don't want to do with their loaves, or they want to do with their loaves as I want to do with my loaves. At my baseness, that's what I want to do. God says, Walt, how many loaves do you have? Um, seven. Can I have them? Well, I've worked pretty hard for these loaves, Lord. You know, you know how hard I work. And uh, I don't know what you're going to do with them. You might, you might give them to someone else. And, uh, and so in my human nature, I want to keep my loaves. And, and, and I want to do what human nature says. I want to take care of mine, my, my, my family, my, myself. Because there's not really enough to go around to everybody. My resources are my resource, and in fact, my name's on the bank account, and these are mine. I'm going to look out for me. And God shows up and says, Walt, beware of the yeast in your life that makes it all about you. You see, Jesus knows that just a little hypocrisy, it can corrupt the whole. He says, Walt, here's what I want to do in your life, but you're still going to hold on to some of that old loaf, aren't you? It's not going to work, buddy. That old life is going to drain you. It's going to kill you. These guys, they can't get over themselves and their powers and their position and authority and the threat that I am to it. We're going to finish today with three lessons to apply in our lives. Three lessons that we can get from watching this, this rerun, so to say, of the feeding miracle, feeding of the masses. The first one is, when asking for a sign from God, we may get the silence of God. When asking for a sign from God, we may get the silence of God. Folks, God doesn't owe us anything, Amen. not even an answer. Go read the book of Job. So be careful. If we're asking for a sign from God, we might get the silence. You know, what group got the most signs from God? The nation of Israel. The Israelites, they're in bondage. They've got insurmountable odds. There's no way out. They're, they're embedded within slaves of the most powerful empire in the world at the time. Egypt's not just against them. Egypt is surrounding them. They're inside of it. They have no hope. And God sends a deliverer in the person of Moses, and God brings ten plagues. He rocks that empire, and they live through every single plague. They see it, and Pharaoh finally relents and lets them go. God splits the Red Sea. They walk through it, and they go to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. God says, let me show you a glimpse. Let me show you a glimpse of the God that's calling you to relationship. And fire and thunder and smoke like the furnace, like a volcano, doesn't come up from the mountain. It comes down on the mountain. And Mount Sinai rumbles with earthquake proportions. Man, after seeing that, man, you're in. I'm a believer. You know, I, I believe. And that's going to last for um, maybe about 40 days. Because Next thing we know, Moses is going up on the mountain, and he tarries up there. God has him up. I mean, you don't walk out on God, okay? I think, you know, God sets the meeting. He sets the agenda. He sets the time. So Moses is up there for 40 days. And what are the people doing at the base of the mountain? They're getting tired. They're, getting, they're, they're tired of, of waiting. And so they go to Aaron. They say, hey, build us something to worship. And Aaron, fool that he was at that time, makes a golden calf and has them worship. And they start an orgy down at the base of the mountain when Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments. You know, God knows that signs don't work. God knows that whatever he's done in our life, we'll forget it by the time the next challenge comes around. So if you're asking for a sign from God, you may be getting the silence of God. Secondly, instead of asking for a sign, let's get rid of our sin. If we aren't listening to what God has clearly written, why do we think that he would show up and speak to us? We, 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 call, it, we call it the word of God because it is the word of God. 
And if we can't clearly follow what he's already told us that he wants us to do, why do we ask him to show up and tell us something else? He's like, can't you just follow my letter? It's all written down there. I gave it to you. I didn't forget anything. It's all right there. It's in print. It's available to you. The third lesson, the mark of a believer is not knowledge or attendance, but a changed heart. The mark of a real follower is not spiritual knowledge. It's not always being in church or even around Jesus. The Pharisees, they have the most biblical knowledge of anybody that we're seeing in this gospel. The disciples, they're with Jesus. They're close to him. And there's nothing wrong with knowing more Bible. There's nothing wrong with more biblical knowledge. There's nothing wrong with being close to Jesus. But these two things in and of themselves don't make you a believer. We have a people in the story that have the most biblical knowledge, the Pharisees. We have a group of guys that are closest to Jesus, the disciples, and neither one of them get him. And things are going to continue going, as we're going to see in coming weeks, from bad to worse. The mark of a believer is surrender. The mark of a believer is surrender. One who shows up and says, these are mine, and I'm not sure who you are, and I'm not sure what you're going to do with them, but I'm going to give them to you. And that little bit of a loaf that I was keeping back in my life, I'm going to give that to you too. I'm going to give it all to you. These are yours. I'm surrendering it all to you, Lord. What a story. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day!